Tassa Bhagavato Arahato Samma Sambhutasa Namo Tassa Bhagavato Arahato Samma Sambhutasa Namo Tassa Bhagavato Arahato Samma Sambhutasa Bhutang Tamang Sankang Namasami So speaking earlier on about our bodies and minds being part of nature belonging to nature and that they're kind of like the body's like a vehicle that we're hopping a ride on for this lifetime but it isn't really who and what we are and you know we tend to we we tend to think that we're we're uh, rather superior the human race (coughs) (coughs) excuse me and that we're uh, above the animal realm and above nature itself. You know, this is a way that the, particularly the Western mind is conditioned. But then, if you if you look at the the makeup of the body, this mammal mammalian mammalian body, it's uh, not so different from many other mammals. And I even, I don't, I don't know it very clearly, but I even read something about the, the DNA in a human being is, is remarkably similar to the DNA in a banana. <laughs> so maybe we're not so remarkable after all. <laughs> um, but the thing that really distinguishes humans from, from animals is our ability to reflect. So... You know, we, we have the same instinctual drives as pretty much any other creature on the planet, pretty much. You know, we want pleasure, we want to move away from pain. We have basic um, wiring for survival, so fear and anger, this is part of our survival wiring that we we protect ourselves, so it's it's, uh, it's it's useful. It has a purpose, but in our ordinary lives, for most of us, it's op- it's often operating these these uh, these qualities op- are operating at times when they're not actually needed. So we find ourselves living with anxiety when there's actually nothing really going on, or something irritates us and we get immediately hot, angry and, and react when, you know, really there's nothing, there's no danger. And we also are wired for procreation to keep the species going. So you know, there's a desire, attraction. And this is natural, this is part of nature. But in, obviously as a monastic, this is something that we can't follow, we choose not to follow. And so it, it, this is also something one, you, know, you reflect on, the, 
this, the urge, the urge to merge. And uh, you know, for a woman also at, at, at times when, when there's a really strong, uh, biologically, a really strong physical sense of wanting to have babies. So this is something I experienced, even though irrationally I knew I don't want to have children. The body would, would go through these very strong urges of wanting to reproduce because it's designed for that. That's how it's built. So you get to, you know, because we have the ability to reflect, you can see we, we don't have to be slaves to these instincts, these natural animal instincts. You know, we can choose to follow them or not follow them if we develop awareness. And, you know, most of us have uh, some social conditioning that that will will tell us you know, this is a, this is appropriate this is not appropriate it's okay to do this it's not okay to do that so there is there are certain social norms within which we live but still even within that um boundary there can be a lot of uh, kind of loose cannons <laughs> flying around so So the, the Buddha is pointing us to be aware, to bring mindfulness and awareness and attention to the what he refers to as the four foundations of mindfulness, this body, feelings, the mind, and mind objects. So this basically covers everything that we consider to be ourselves. And you know when he when he encourages us to look at the body, he's 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 pointing to the body as as a body, not as my body, beautiful body, um, healthy body, sick body. But what what comprises a body? What is a body? What is it made up of? So he'll look at he'll point us to you know it's made up of hair. Skin, nails, teeth, organs, muscles, tendons, blood, partially digested food, excrement and urine, um, brain, bones. So he's pointing to the, 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 the actuality of this body, what it is. It's made up of these things. And, and when you look at those things, they're like, okay, that, that's the that's the the mechanics or the, the the physicality of this body that we take to be me and mine that we take so personally. It's a very cooling practice to to go through these um, physical realities of the body to to contemplate just to to acknowledge skin. So it's just skin. It's not. Oh my! I wish my skin was softer or a different colour or younger. Or it's just skin, skin. It's like this, and it it has its process. When you're when you're a little baby, it's really soft. It's lovely to touch a little baby's skin. It's so soft. And then as it gets older, it starts to get kind of loses elasticity and gets wrinkly. 
And as, as you get older, it gets thinner, and you can see through. The illusion of this body gets thinner. <laughs> Start to be able to see through the skin. So it, when you're young, you don't see through so easily. You can't see the veins. And, you see, you look more beautiful, and as you get older, you start to, you start to get transparent, translucent. And you see the, the blue veins and the, and the muscles and maybe little lumps of cellulite or whatever it might be there. And so it's, the, it's like the illusion of this body being somebody gets thinner as we get older. And then maybe we try and cover that up, don't like that. Try and make it look nice. But it's, it's just going through that process. And the, the Buddha also encourages us to look at the, the whole process of, of the body, you know, from, from it has a beginning, at conception, it grows in the womb, it's born into the world. It goes through this continuous change throughout the whole lifetime, continuously changing. So if you've got a, a young child, you, you see it very easily, it's very obvious. Every week, every month, you know, very different. Then as we get to a certain age, it sort of seems more, more or less the same. Well, also adolescence, you know, huge changes in adolescence. And then as we get older, it, it sort of levels out. And then there's the... the um, gradual aging process and and watching that happening we're not necessarily we might stop growing and we start shrinking a little bit and uh, our hair turns gray and you know that that natural aging process happens so i noticed in this country it's, it's seen as a, a failure to grow old it's a bit of a setup isn't it <laughs> People feel like they failed when their body's aging. When you can't do what you used to be able to do. When you, ache, you get aches and pains. Failing, oh dear. But actually there's no failing involved, it's just the body's aging. Because it's meant to age, it's built like that. It's, it's natural. So the Buddha's encouraging us to, to, to know the, the, the true nature of this body. And he also takes it through to death. When the, when, the, when the breath, this wonderful breath, leaves the body, and you know, I don't know if any of you've been with a, you know, someone who's just died. But there's a there's a there's a definite difference between even if they're in a in a coma. There's a difference between when that person's still living and when that the life force has left. It's just like a shell. It's like looking at an empty shell. And, you know, you look at it and you think, wow, what is it, you know? How, what is it that, what's, what is it that makes the difference between this one that's living and, and that one that's now just a, an empty shell there? <laughs> you can't really kind of, can't quite get what it is. But it's tangibly different. And then, if allowed to, to go through its natural process, which these days is not often the case, then the body starts to break down. Um, it becomes a, a city for all kinds of little creatures. So it's, it's the body as a person has died, but it, the, the body itself is still part of life. 
it's going, it's still part of the life cycle. And all these little creatures feast away and help to break down the body. And then it becomes part of the earth again. And they, those creatures maybe, I don't know, maybe some of them turn into flies or different creatures. And then they become food for birds and it all recycles naturally. And, uh, and even the bones, maybe the bones are left and then the bones themselves, they gradually start to break down, turn into dust and go back to the earth. And this is how we're designed. This is how nature has designed this body. So that it is, it is part of the process. And in our culture, we've really um, separate, dissociated from that to a huge degree. So death is something that's seen as, as frightening and uh, morbid. You shouldn't talk about it. And uh, you get these, these uh, funerals where the music plays and the curtains close and the coffin disappears and then you don't know what happens next. And then you all go out and get drunk and don't think about it. <laughs> so you know, this is like missing, missing the opportunity to see the whole process of this natural process of the body. So, the, so in the, the foundation of mindfulness, the, Buddha, the first foundation, the Buddha is inviting us to see the body as it is. And to see how we create suffering by attaching to it as a, an identity and wanting it to be a certain way. I mean, I know someone just recently was telling us how much um, people have surgery now it's how very, very common it is to have surgery. You know. You're getting a little flavia on the chin. You know, just have a tuck in there. Just a little tuck there. You know. Tummy's a bit saggy. Maybe you had a baby. I'll just tidy it up, you know, put a few tucks in. And this is very common. Maybe you feel your nose is too big, so you okay, break the bones, make it smaller, and have it remodeled, you know. So people do that a lot these days because there's a strong identification with the body as, as me and mine. And then we see all these images on the TV and on the, in the magazines that show us what we're supposed to look like. We're supposed to look like models that have been airbrushed. <laughs> so we're always, you know, looking at these images and then feeling like, oh, but I don't look like that. I've got to do something to change the way I look. Then I'll feel good if I make my body the way it, I ought to look, then I'll feel good. But uh, it doesn't really work like that. So it's about making friends with this body as it is and accepting it as, as a, a process that's going on that has, to a large degree, its own volition. It's not that we can, we can change bits, little, little tweaks here and there, but we can't really make any big changes to this body. It's doing what it's doing. So this is the first foundation of mindfulness, to be mindful of the body as it is. And the, the second foundation of mindfulness is mindfulness of feeling. So uh, some people are, are not very tuned into feeling. You know, it's, the, it's like you know, the mind overrides feeling. Feeling, pff, get that out of the way. I've got a, I've got a goal in mind, you know. And then there are other people who are very sensitive. I'm rather on the sensitive end of the spectrum. And then you feel every little nuance. 
every little feeling in a room you pick up on people's moods and you know you're feeling a little bit funny and um, you know, all of those feelings are arising in the in the body mind so f- for myself when before i came across this teaching on the the foundations of mindfulness it was quite a difficult it was quite difficult to 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 uh, get on with life because the being sensitive, there'd be so many feelings, and every feeling would have a story, and every feeling would have a connection, and have a, you know, there's all this kind of stuff going on. And one day, Ajahn Suchito, who I was living in the Chitos Monastery at the time, and I was talking to him about, oh, there's this and that, and that. and then he said, feelings. The Buddha pointed out three kinds of feelings: pleasant feeling unpleasant feeling and neither pleasant nor unpleasant feeling and when he said that it was like oh that really simplifies things <laughs> you know i don't have to get into all of the nuances and the stories and the reasons why i can just know this is painful feeling or unpleasant feeling it might not be painful this is pleasant feeling uh, and this is neutral feeling, I can't, or neither pleasant nor unpleasant feeling. So I started to, to put all of these nuances of feeling into these three very simple categories. Gosh, made my life so much simpler. <laughs> and you know, when you know feeling as feeling, then you have a choice whether to follow it or not. So when you know pleasant feeling as pleasant feeling, you can still follow it. You can say, I know when I go outside here and I look at the hills in the sunlight and I hear the birds sing, there's a pleasant feeling arises in my mind. And it doesn't mean, you know, so, that, so then I can go out there and I can feel, experience that pleasant feeling. It's lovely. It's beautiful. But then it's allowing the feeling to be there and then letting it go. So if I attach to that feeling, then when it gets dark, I feel, oh, it's dark now, I can't see the golden hills. You know. Or I start worrying that I'm only here for a few days and I've got to go back to live in San Francisco and I won't be able to experience this beautiful place anymore. That's what happens if I'm attached. But if I'm not attached, then I can just know the feeling as it arises in the moment and be fully with it, fully open to it. Take it in and enjoy that pleasant feeling and then let it go. And with unpleasant feeling or painful feeling, you know, we're, we're built to move away from painful feeling. They say an amoeba in a petri dish will move away. If a, if a scalpel comes into that petri dish, um, the amoeba will move away from the scalpel. <laughs> this is how basic it is in our system. So that's, uh, that's, as, that's kind of as basic as, as, as it gets, being an amoeba. <laughs> and even amoebas move away from painful feeling. So, you know, we're, we're wired for that. But if we, we always, you know, if we, if we can't stay steady when painful feeling arises, then, you know, we're, we're constantly running. We're always, we're constantly shifting and changing and moving away and trying something else. And, and we're, we're in this state of constant agitation, trying to get away from painful feeling or unpleasant feeling. And that in itself is dukkha. That in itself is, is kind of a, 
a stress. So in the, in the meditation practice, we're learning how to be with, to open to and be with feeling as it is. So obviously if, if you're you know, doing yourself an injury, then you need to respond to the painful feeling and, and, and um, put your body in a way that's supportive. But if it's just a, an ache or a tension or a, a, a mind state, you know, also feeling, the Buddha speaks about um, dukkha and sukha, which are dukkha being unpleasant bodily sensational feeling, sukha being pleasant bodily sensation, and then dhammanasa and somanasa. So that's dhammanasa, um, um, dukkha, mental dukkha, and somanasa, mental sukha, or happiness, pleasure. So, you know, we need to learn through the meditation practice how to open and be with these feelings as they are. So, you know, if we, if we always want to get away from what's unpleasant, we're, we're like a, really like a hamster on a wheel. We, we, we're constantly running away. And we can't avoid, you know, the, the, the human experience, it has both pleasure and pain. This is just how it is. And the mind experiences sorrow and happiness. It's, that's how it is. So we need to learn to open to all of it. And, that if, and then there's neither painful nor pleasant feeling. That's, it's very difficult to be with that. That's what we overlook. But this is also important to get to know when there's, not a, there's nothing really grabbing our attention and, and there's this kind of you know, maybe in the body, we were doing body sweeping and quite a lot of the experiences can't really feel very much. Then just know that. Don't, don't skip over that. Just know that. Can't really feel very much here. Left elbow, can't really feel very much. So neither painful nor pleasant feeling. And that if you keep bringing attention to that, you know, to all three kinds of feeling, then it's, it kind of wakes up the, the body. So... As long as we ignore the body, then there's a lot of neither painful nor pleasant feeling. There's not a lot of mutual feeling. But as we bring attention even to that, then it starts to, we start to notice, well, actually, it does have a kind of pleasant feeling, if I really look, or, or painful feeling, or whatever it might be. When we look more carefully, we see that actually there is, there is something there. It was just it was being ignored before. So the neutral feeling is like a, a basis for ignorance, so it is actually very important to pay attention to that band of neutrality. And you know, it's, it's all very well to say, you know, be mindful of, of say, um, difficult mental feeling, dominance. You know, but it's... it's, it's um, so instinctual in us to either to identify with that, to attach, and either push it away or get lost in it. So, you know, there are many, many ways that we can avoid uh, temporarily avoid dukkha in the like dominasa dukkha in the mind. You know, there's there's all kinds of entertainments and uh, everything we can, in our Smartphones is pretty much everything. 
You know, there's there's plenty of, of distractions that we can have, and, and then of course there's the, the um, you know, physical distractions of eating, drinking, drugs, you know, all of those things that can take our attention off for some time, off those mental um, afflictions, you could say. But they only it only works for some time, and then we then we end up getting addicted to the things that are keeping us keeping our attention away from them. So it's, it's a kind of a downward spiral, really. So it's very important to learn how to be with mind state that is, that is uh, challenging, you know, like angry mind states. And the precepts that we took in the beginning, they're like a protection. So if we know that we're not actually going to physically harm anyone, we're not going to say anything abusive we make that determination, that's our boundary, then then there's like a, a room within which the anger can arise. So we don't have to be afraid of it because we're not actually going to, we've decided, we're not going to cause harm to another. And then when we do that, the only thing we can do is actually come back and be with that feeling as it is. So instead of throwing it out at somebody else where it belongs to us, much easier to throw it out to somebody else and that they have to deal with it on the short term. But really to turn around and to, to face that feeling of, of anger and to know how it feels and to feel the, the really unpleasantness of it and let it be there in your own system until it naturally calms down, naturally passes. This is, this is a liberating practice. So you're, for one thing, you're, you're freeing others of, of your own anger and hatred. They don't have to be, you don't have to throw it at them, they don't have to receive it. So, you know, you're easier to be with, you're, you're more of a, a, a source of safety in the world. And also you're, you're getting to know it, you're, you're watching the whole process. You're seeing how you identify with it, <coughs> identify with it and, and all the justifications that go along with it. And you're not following it, but you're just staying present and watching it go through its process. And then at some point it ends. And then you know how it is after it's ended. And by doing that, you grow stronger. You gain a certain strength. And uh, also I mentioned depression earlier on. Being with depression. So this is something that I, I experienced a lot of depression in my teens and 20s and kind of a little bit less in my early 30s. And fortunately, um, after a very long, I don't know how long, but it seemed like eternally long, period of very, very sort of heavy depression in my teens, where literally each day was, each, each evening I would hope, okay, may this be my last day. May I, may I not wake up in the morning? You know? and in the morning I'd wake up and like, oh, okay, another one, all right. And that went on for a long time. It was very, very dark. The mind was dark. It had no, um, no sense of hope or uh, possibilities. It was very, very difficult. And um, one day um, <laughs> that, that, that shifted, that changed. So it actually changed after I read the Four Noble Truths. There was suddenly, after I read the Four Noble Truths, there was a sense of like, ah, oh, there is a there is a way out 
So the Four Noble Truths being that there, first of all, being there is there is dukkha, there is suffering, there is a cause, there is a the the cessation of suffering, and there is a path leading to the cessation of suffering. So when I read that, although I didn't really understand it fully, I understood the first bit. There is dukkha. Yep. And I understood that the Buddha was saying there is a way out, and the way out is here and now. So it's not that you have to wait till you die, and then you see whether you go to heaven or hell, but it's here and now. So that for me was like, wow. And and after I read that, there, there was this kind of epiphany where the mind suddenly became filled with light after it had been dark for a long time. And fortunately, some little intuitive voice said, notice this. If you get depressed again, doesn't matter how long it goes on for, how deep it is, it changes. So that was very important. I don't know where that little voice of intuition came from, but that was very important because I could have overlooked that. And then the next time depression came, it would have, I'd have been lost in it again completely. And and it, it has that characteristic of being, this is going to last forever. This is really who and what you are. This is going to go on forever and it's hopeless. That is the, the voice of depression. <laughs> but because I had that little insight that it actually it changed. You know, it did seem like it had gone forever and then it changed. But each time it came back the next time, which went on for some years, there was always this knowing that, okay, that, oh, it's this again, ooh, you know. And then knowing that this is going to change at some point. So I didn't have to buy into it to the same degree. And, and then gradually over time, just getting to know what are the characteristics of depression? How does it, how does it come? It comes over like a cloud going over the sun and you feel this kind of heaviness coming over you and then it, that cloud sort of starts to settle and then you feel like, ooh, you know, it drags all of your energy down. And it's not that you can necessarily change it, you can get rid of it, but by knowing it, getting to know it really well and staying present while it's, while it's there, it weakens the strength of that depression. The same with, with anything. It's, it's the same with anger, the same with fear. As you get to know it, how it arises, how it comes over you, how it descends and becomes part of you, how it influences your life. And uh, the, as you get to know that, as you really pay attention to that really clearly, and you know the limitations that it, it puts on you, you know that you can't maybe do the things you can do when it's not there, then it, it weakens that, that tendency in the mind. So you have to be patient. It took me a few years, quite a few years. But I very, very, very rarely experience depression now. And if I do, it's just, just, just like the slightest cloud in the sky. It's not a great big heavy one. So that comes through paying attention, being interested, investigating. And if I may say, and you know, really kind of making friends with these mind states. So, you know, it got to the point where I would literally feel a sense of like, oh, depression. I haven't seen you for a while. <laughs> Welcome. You know, I'm sure you're going to be here for a while, so make yourself comfortable, you know. And, and not like, oh God, when's it going to go? I've got to get rid of this. But just like, oh yeah. Okay, I know this really well. And, uh, and letting it be there and recognizing the limitations of it, you know, I can't function as well when I'm depressed as I can when I'm not, but it's still, you know, in terms of the path, it's, it's, it's a, an invitation. 
even depression, can be an invitation for awakening. And then uh, I've noticed that as I welcomed it again and again, after a while I didn't want to come around anymore. <laughs> it wasn't interesting anymore to come around because there was no fun. It didn't work. <laughs> so, you know, you have to, and we have to be careful not to, you know, to find that, it's, it's finding that place of where there's, where you're present with what's, what's arisen, but you're not indulging in it. It's, it's, a, it's a fine line. You know, so, so as soon as we indulge in it, we're just feeding it and it's getting stronger. And if we're pushing it away, it's also getting stronger. But it's finding that place of where we can, we can be open and receive and accept this mind as it is. And know that this is not who and what I am. This is a passing mind state. It's changing, it's visiting, just like the weather. So you can think of the mind like the sky. And then the, the mood, the mind states are like clouds, like weather. Going Sometimes it's foggy, confused, sometimes it's thunder and lightning, sometimes it's just kind of dark clouds, sometimes it's clear, beautiful. It's like the weather, the mind is like that. So we, we need to learn how to be the sky. Be the sky and know the weather that's ever changing. And uh, so I kind of started speaking about feeling, but that sort of moved into also mind, you know, mind and mind states. So getting to know the state of the mind. So I think it's very useful on a retreat when you, because we have this this rhythm of of sitting, you know, sitting meditation, then getting up and doing walking, and then coming back and sitting, and going and having the meal and then coming back and sitting and then going walking and sitting. Each time you sit down, just, just notice your mind state. Just, just have a ch- check in what mind state is present now. And just notice how it changes through a day. So if we don't actually have those little points of, of reference, then we tend to take it all as personal and real and, and eternal. So just checking in, you know, what's, what mind state is present now? And not saying, oh, there I go again, I shouldn't be like this, but just knowing it as it is. And then we watch it changing, and as we watch it changing, we can't take it as personally as we do if we don't notice that changing nature of the mind. And then being aware of uh, the objects of mind, so mentioned already the, the five hindrances and you know, also there's uh, many positive <coughs> objects of mind. Um, you know, as, as you meditate you may be aware of mindfulness, investigation, investigating the states that are arising, um, you know, different qualities that arise like tranquility, peacefulness, joy, collectedness, loving-kindness, you know, the, all of these qualities can arise in the mind. So knowing what is, what is here, knowing what is present. And you know, we, we can't be mindful of all of those things at once, but just to, just to, 
turn your attention back here. So as the, as the chanting, as the chanting we do says, the the, the dharma is leading inwards. It's, it's bringing us back. It's bringing. It's coming deeper. And as you as you turn your awareness back here, just what is most prominent, and and be with that. So for myself, for a long time, the most prominent thing would be the the mind, citta. So then the the mind state or the moods of the mind. So then I would use that for my meditation for a long time. And then gradually, then the, because I worked at it, then the body became more prominent. So then I would be with mindfulness of the body. So you know, don't don't have an idea. I've got to do. I've got to be mindful of first of the body, then of the feelings, then of the mind states, then of the mind. Be be present with what is most easily accessible now. And turn your attention and investigate and see what it has to tell you. And, and remember to take refuge in the, the triple gem, in the, you know, that, which, that which is aware, the awareness itself, which, which is part of each of us, which we each have access to. And the knowing the changing nature of things, knowing that even if we can't really feel it right now, knowing that everything that arises passes away. Everything is in a state of flux, everything is changing. And the Sangha, partly all of us working together, and also that which in us, that within us, which is willing to do the work that is necessary to really see through these illusions that the mind creates. So Aya Santachita also, she's been pointing to the three characteristics in the meditation of impermanence, anicca, unsatisfactoriness or instability, dukkha, and not-self or essenceless, essencelessness, anatta. So these are pointers, and, they, and they're, they're different to what we learn at school and in the workplace and on the, through the media, you know. They're not, it's a, it's a different direction. But this, uh, the Buddha is pointing to what is true. And he's pointing us to a place of liberation. How we can free ourselves from the, the tangles that we get ourselves into. And you might, you know, most of us, we lean towards one or the other of those three. So again, whichever one is most easily accessible, just just be with that one. If it's easiest for you to notice anatta, this is not me, not mine, then then use that as a as a as a as a reflection and investigation. Or if it's easiest for you to see the dukkha of things, you know, just can't get any satisfaction, just can't get it. And I'm trying, and I'm trying. The song there, um, you know, then then. Let the, the dukkha be your teacher. And if, it, if your mind naturally notices impermanence, then you know, let that be the door through which you step. And all of, these, all of these teachings are right here all the time. It's all here. So we're up here as teachers, but actually <laughs> the Buddha said, you know, you're, you're, the, 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 the greatest teacher is this body. Everything you need to know for liberation is right here in this body. So you know, we want to turn you back to, to investigate for yourselves with this teacher that is with you 
every day, every moment, just right here. So I hope that there's uh, something useful in that for you and that you can really you know, pick up, even just pick up one part of what I've said and really apply it during this retreat because all of these are like doors to liberation and all of us have the potential for complete freedom. All of us. You know, the Buddha was a human being like us. The, the many arahants, the many many women and men who became enlightened, both monastic and lay, they were human beings like us. So this is, this is really our birthright, actually. It's, it's waiting to happen. And we just have to keep putting our mind in the right direction, keep paying attention in the right way. And, and keep, the, you know, keep sustaining the effort. And, and don't, one of the beauties of the practice is you know, every moment is a new moment. We can always begin again. However far we've gone off, however lost we've, we've become, as soon as we remember we can come back and start again. This is wonderful. Every breath, every step, is there's a new opportunity. So don't ever despair or think you can't do it or you're hopeless, or you're not, you're not going to manage. And it's all right for us because we're nuns and you're not. <laughs> don't believe that. You know, we, we all have this potential to awaken and it's right here. It's right here, every moment waiting for us to notice. So even if we just notice for a moment, it's already wonderful. And if we notice for two moments or several moments, you know, the Buddha also speaks about, it's like a, you have these, in some countries you have a jar, like a big jar, earthenware jar that collects water. And mindfulness is like the drops going into that jar. You know, and you feel like, oh, it's just a drop. Uh, I only had a little drop today. Oh. You know, but, but drop by drop, that fills up the jar. And moment by moment, as we develop mindfulness and awareness and open to what is happening here and now, moment by moment, we find the mind starts to let go. And we move closer to our natural state, which is free and open and clear, benevolent. So it's all here. If we're willing to look in the right way, the, the doors to the deathless are open, as, uh, as we often heard from Ajahn Sumedho, you know, the doors to the deathless are open right here, right here and now. So, you know, I really encourage you to not give up and to keep remembering again and again to turn your attention back to what's going on here. Okay, everyone.
will end with a reflection on um, it's called the five subject for frequent recollection which is on page 3131 so that's a recollection which we are encouraged to do every day it's a kind of a wake up call Andamayang apinya bachave kanapatang panama se charatamo me charanang anatita. I am of the nature to age, I have not gone beyond aging. Payati damo me payati nanatita. I am of the nature to sicken. I have not gone beyond sickness. Maranatamo me maranatita. I am of the nature to die. I have not gone beyond dying. Sabehi me piehi manapehi nanapavo inapavo. All that is mine, beloved and pleasing, will become otherwise, will become separated from me. Kamma sakami kamma dayada kamma yomi kamma bandhu kamma patisaranayam I am the owner of my Kamal, heir to my Kamal, born of my Kamal, related to my Kamal, abides supported by my Kamal. Whatever Kamal I shall do, for good or for real, of that I will be the heir. Evangam he a pin hung, but we should frequently recollect. <coughs> and then we'd like to end with a meta mantra. And we just chant the first passage and it's very simple. It repeats itself. So you can follow us after a certain time. <clears throat> May I be filled with love and kindness. May I be well. May I be peaceful and at 
word is, may I be happy, may you be filled with love and kindness, may you be well, may you be peaceful and at May you be happy. May we be filled with love and kindness. May we be well. May we be peaceful and at ease. May we be happy. May I be filled with love and kindness. May I be well. May I be peaceful and at ease. May I be happy. May you be filled with love and kindness. May you be well. May you be peaceful and at ease. May you be happy. May we be filled with love and kindness. May we be well. May we be peaceful and at ease. May we be happy. May I be filled with love and kindness. May I be well. May I be peaceful and at ease. May I be happy. May you be filled with love and kindness. May you be well. May you be peaceful and at ease. May you be happy. May we be filled with love and kindness. May we be well. May we be peaceful and at ease.